good to have you here today. If you're new, uh, I'm Dan. I'm lead pastor here at Life Community. It's great to have you here. We, we are excited to jump into uh, the next week of this series here. Um, last month, uh, my brother came into town. Uh, this is a picture of my brother, as a matter of fact. I'm told we look alike. I tell him he's very lucky, of course, that he looks like me. But um, he actually came into town. Remember the weekend when we had to cancel church because of the weather? Right? I was looking forward to him meeting you, but he was, the church was canceled that week. But I wish I could tell you the sole reason he came into town was to see me, but that was not the case. He came in to, flew in from Phoenix to attend an event here in town called the Midwest Sports Spectacular. Okay? So the Midwest Sports Spectacular is this annual event featuring collectors of Ohio sports memorabilia, mainly like the Buckeyes and the Browns. Believe it or not, people collect Brown stuff. They do. There you go. Now, there's famous athletes at these events, right? You can get your picture taken with them or have them sign something, but you are going to pay. It is expensive to have that done. Or you can just look around. There's all kinds of tables from, from collectors that bring, bring stuff from everywhere, and you can kind of get an idea of what that's like to look at different kind of sports stuff. Hey, it's not my thing, but my brother, who's like this OSU alum and a nut, man, it was, he was in his element doing this. So my brother collects two things. He collects original signatures of former Ohio State All-American football players, and he collects original signatures of former Buckeye football coaches, and he's got a lot of them. And so we went down there in search of a specific signature. And while I was down there, I got to meet some of his collector friends. It's a unique group of people to be around, let me tell you. They collect the same things as him. And one of those collector friends had a significant collection of these Buckeyes, these original signatures, and he had them for a long time until he sold them to get the one prize that he had been waiting for. And it was this, a Chick Harley original signature. Just so you know, Chick Harley was a running back for the Buckeyes back in 1916. Apparently, he was like beyond great. He put Buckeye football on the map. This is what I'm told. He was so great that he literally was the catalyst for Ohio Stadium being built because so many people wanted to see him play. During his playing days, the Buckeyes had their first win ever against Michigan. So this guy is like a legend. Perhaps you've heard of him. I had not. I thought he was talking about chicks on Harleys. I said that is not appropriate to be collecting that. Anyway, my brother's collector friend uh, wanted that chick Harley, and he gave dearly for it. He traded what he had, his collection, and $5,000 on top of that to get this one signature, and he got it. Isn't it interesting what, what we value, what we'll search after, what we will sacrifice for? What would you do for something of value? That's a question we're going to come back to today. Last week, we kicked off this series on the parables of Jesus. And Tom kind of shared some things about the parables, right? They are everyday stories that Jesus would tell, simple stories that he used to make a point, to illustrate a lesson. They are stories that are connected to spiritual truth. They're focused on a specific outcome. Um, often in, in the parables, we are dropped into the middle of a story that's going on, that's being told, and we interact with various details in the story, right? Some that are crucial to the point that Jesus is trying to make, and others are just there to support the story. And Tom used this illustration last week to talk about how the parables, the intersection of the truth with the story that Jesus was telling, and that we have to be very careful not to get sidetracked by the less 
important details of the story. It's also really important to know the context that the parable is told in and the audience that is hearing the parable. Now, these parables, they, when you read them, they still, to this day, they create tension. They create frustration at times, trying to, to figure out what they mean. They still do in us. They knock us off our feet sometimes. They, they make us examine our hearts. Jesus had a way of doing that. Now, today we're going to explore the parables Jesus spoke regarding the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. We call these the kingdom parables. So Jesus would often tell a story and he'd say, the kingdom of God is like, and then he'd tell a story describing what it was like. So many of these are in Matthew 13. So if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to there, we're going to be in there today, a good part of Matthew 13. Now, before we jump into that, I, can't, I want to tell you, I can't begin to express just how eye-opening, how mind-blowing some of these things that Jesus is going to talk about with the kingdom were, all right? Because in these, these parables, he's revealing things. He's re-educating his people, the Jews, about the kingdom of God. And, and in the middle of Matthew 13, he actually says this, all these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Okay, long ago, I will open my mouth in parables. Listen to this. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Since the foundation of the world, Jesus is about to share truths to his audience, which have been hidden for a long time. Things only God knows about, things that are like of eternity. And he's choosing this moment in time to reveal what it's going to be like, what the kingdom is, what it's going to be like, how it's going to advance forward. So this is big, and there, there had to be this re-education for the Jews because they had a picture in their mind of how this kingdom was going to come about. And the kingdom they anticipated was not at all like the kingdom that Jesus was bringing. Ever that happen? Sometimes you think something's going to go one way, right? doesn't happen the way you think. My wife and I watched a movie not long ago, The Greatest Showman. Okay, I don't know if you saw that. I started that movie, and within like 30 seconds, I'm like, wait a second. This is a musical. You roped me into a musical. I had no idea this was a musical. Sometimes things don't go the way you think they're going to go. And so for the Jews, this was like a transformative moment here in history. This was not going to go the way they thought. So what is this kingdom? What is it that Jesus speaks of? We hear about it a lot. Where is it? When does it occur? What conditions are present in it? How do we know it when we see it? How does it operate? Maybe you're like me. When I was a kid, I thought the kingdom of God is like heaven, way off, somewhere down the road, right? Is it that? Well, for the sake of time, I'm going to lay some groundwork when it comes to Jesus talking about the kingdom. And here's some of what we know, okay? The kingdom Jesus refers to is not a place. It's not a geographic location. The kingdom is not a people. Okay? You can think of the kingdom as the reign of God. Okay? Or really, it's, it's God's redemptive reign. God's redemptive reign. When we read the kingdom of God is like, we can often read this, the redemptive reign of God is like. Now, the redemptive reign of God was promised long ago in the Old Testament. Long before Jesus came to earth in places like in the book of Daniel, 
chapter 2, where it says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, as I talked about a little bit ago, the Jews were waiting for this kingdom. They longed for it. They dreamed of it, especially as they were under occupation by the Romans, and they were expecting something big to happen, a big moment for it to come. They were unprepared for the reality of how it would come. Here's some more about about the kingdom that Jesus refers to. The kingdom arrived with the king. Okay, Jesus ushered in the kingdom when he came to earth. He ushered in this time of God's redemptive reign. And he advanced the kingdom by his death, by his resurrection. So the kingdom is, is truly a, a redemptive kingdom. God was making all things new. He's giving everyone an opportunity to, to know him through his son, through forgiveness of their sins. And when Jesus came, he communicated to the people the kingdom is now. The kingdom's right now. He said in Matthew 4, from that time began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Matthew 12, he said, But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, which he did, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now today, you and I, we still live in this period, this period of God's redemptive reign. It will continue and go on until completion. We are in the kingdom. And you say, wait a second, wait, but there's, there's war and, and there's violence, right? And there's pain and, and there's sin. But yes, there is for a time. But the Spirit of God lives in those who follow him now. The rightful king is reclaiming his place through the Spirit and through us. It's like the stuff that movies are made of. So the kingdom is now, as Jesus said, but wait, there's more. The kingdom's also coming. It's it's moving towards completion. It's advancing forward. Jesus prayed that that well-known prayer, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And John Piper, who's a pastor, describes it like this. The kingdom is God's reign, his sovereign action in the world to redeem and deliver a people, and then at a future time to finish it and renew his people and the universe completely. The Apostle Paul talked about this kingdom too. He described what the kingdom is like, what the conditions are like in the kingdom. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom is where the power of God is there. It's evident. The presence of God is experienced. The purposes of God are realized. In Hebrews, we're told the kingdom's unshakable. In Matthew, we're told to seek it first. Now, the kingdom's not always easy. It's not always easy to pinpoint. It's hidden at times. It's often called a mysterious kingdom because of that, because of the way the Holy Spirit moves. Sometimes we don't always see in the moment how God is reclaiming lives, how he is making things new but it's happening. So that's just a little bit of background on the kingdom of God, God's redemptive reign. We're going to learn more in these parables today about it. Now, last week, Tom spoke. If you remember from Matthew 13, he actually spoke on the parable of the sower. 
And in that parable, Jesus explained to the people how the message of the kingdom is received by those who hear it, right? For some, the message gets through. There's meaningful growth in their lives. For others, they hear the message and then it gets lost. And we talked about the fact, he shared this last week, that there's more to our health, to our spiritual health, than just being exposed to the truth and just hearing. There's more to it than that. Now today, as we continue in Matthew 13, Jesus is going to discuss two things. First, he's going to talk about the king and where the kingdom is headed. And secondly, he's going to talk about why. He's going to talk about us and talk about why we should invest in the kingdom. Okay, so here, here are some of the parables we're just going to touch on today, all right? You see them there, very earthy kinds of things mentioned there. Um, we can't possibly go over all these today, but you've got homework this week. Read Matthew 13, dig in a little bit deeper, but I'm going to kind of do a flyover on these first two sets of parables. We're really going to land at the end at, the, at, the, at those last two, two parables. So let's talk about the parable of the weeds. And some of this stuff, you guys, this is fascinating stuff. That's why you got to go back. you got to go back and dig in, in, in the Word and, and let God speak to you as you dig into it, okay? So in the parable of the weeds, which Jesus first spoke to a large crowd of people, and then his disciples later said, huh? And then he explained it to them further later on in Matthew 13. And this is what he reveals about God's redemptive ram. I'm not going to read the story. You can do that later. I'm going to summarize kind of what he says. This is what the redemptive reign of God looks like. This is what the kingdom looks like. In this world, Jesus has planted his followers, those who say yes to Jesus. They're called wheat, okay? And the devil has snuck in and planted his followers, right? Those who say no to Jesus, they're called weeds in this parable. And in the world, Jesus communicates that there will be people who say yes to Jesus, and there will be people who say no to Jesus, and they're going to exist for a time together, This is going to happen during this period of God's redemptive reign. And the wheat and the weeds will grow together. Jesus is allowing this to happen. He's not going to just rip the weeds out right now, okay? And he doesn't want us to do that. That's not our battle to to rip the weeds out. He's letting them grow for a time. But make no mistake about it, at the end of the age, there's going to be a reckoning. And the wheat, those who say yes to Jesus, and the weeds, those who say no to Jesus, are going to be separated And those who say no to Jesus are going to be removed from the kingdom at that time and face destruction. It's not pretty. But those who say yes to Jesus will remain. And there's this beautiful picture of of what stands after that, of this beautiful kingdom where the righteous shine, where those who say yes to Jesus shine. Now, in that parable of the weeds, Jesus would learn these truths about God. They would learn God is sovereign. God is in control. He he plants, he grows, and he harvests. And at that final harvesting, all right, this is important, that separating out of the wheat and the weeds, he's going to decide that. That's not our call. We don't get to vote. Okay, we don't get to vote who's in or out. He knows he will make that call. So it's it's not our our goal, it's not our job to do that. Only he knows. And he's all-powerful. This is going to come to be. God is also very gracious. He's allowing the weeds to exist for a time until they can be no more. And perhaps giving them time, reading this into the story a little bit, for, them to, for people to turn and to find him. 
But the other thing we learn is there is a very real enemy. It is just, it's the truth. There's an enemy set against the wheat and against the purposes of Jesus. And he leads, the enemy leads, the devil mentions him, he leads an army of those who are counterfeits in the kingdom. Okay, they even look like wheat at times. They look like people who say yes to Jesus, but they're not. And they're going to be eventually exposed for what they are. Now, a lot of people think Jesus was referring to the religious leaders of the time, right? Because they were speaking against the kingdom, against the coming kingdom, against the king. So the audience listening to Jesus would be wrestling. They'd be wrestling as they heard it. It says, we do today, right? We read it, we wrestle with it. Am I, who, am I one who says yes to the king, to the kingdom, or, or am I on the other side of that? It's very binary, right? This is either yes or no. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. So, so the story hits the audience and and it reveals where they're at in the moment, same as it does for us now. Now, that parable of the weeds, stay with me, that parable of the weeds is very closely associated to the parable of the net, which is later on in Matthew 13. And in that parable, Jesus tells this story about fishermen who cast out a net into the sea. They bring it in. They've got all kinds of fish in the net. And then the fishermen go through and they sort out the good fish from the bad fish. It's kind of reemphasizing what the weeds is saying is there's going to be a reckoning at the end and Jesus will make the call. It's not our call. Now, let's keep in mind the original audience because we hear this parable different than the people Jesus told it to because Jesus had not gone to the cross yet. Jesus had not rose from the dead yet. So we see that a little bit differently, but it still asks the same heart question for us, Right? Are we a part of the kingdom? Is our heart, is our mind set in the kingdom or is it set elsewhere? You know, it's funny, later on, just on a side note, later on in Matthew, uh, these are difficult concepts and his disciples clearly were confused at the time, but he asked them, he said, do you follow, like, do you follow in these parables? And they said, yes, yes, yes. I don't think they were following. I think that's a lie. I think the disciples were lying at that point. I, this is just heady stuff to, to take in. Okay, we're going to keep going. Here's more of what the kingdom is like, Jesus says. Matthew 13, 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in the branches. So here's another thing the kingdom is like. It's like the grain of a mustard seed. Here's the grain of a mustard seed, okay? Very small. So what, what is Jesus trying to communicate about the kingdom here? This is what he's, he's saying. First of all, he reemphasizes that God's the one who plants. God's the one who plants the kingdom. That crowd does not know it yet, but Jesus was about to advance the kingdom by his death, by his resurrection. And, that, and, and the kingdom, God's redemptive reign, grows like a seed, like this small seed. It starts as the smallest of things, and then it grows over time to completion. And the growth, it's, it's tremendous. It's expansive. And when it reaches its conclusion, it's huge, growing all the way to this tree, perhaps some symbolism there for the cross, not sure. And the tree, it becomes as expansive. Birds come in, living things come in and take shelter, and they rely on the tree. 
Many think that these birds represent that which comes from far off to make its home. Maybe Jesus is referring to the gospel going outside of the Jews to the Gentiles and ultimately to us. But as far as the the growth in the kingdom, the principle is this. We talk around about that this a lot around here. Small is the next big thing, right? Small is the next big thing. God's redemptive reign will start small, but it will have worldwide impact. Now, that kind of, of growth, starting small, was not what the Jews were looking for. It's often not what we look for today, right? We like big things. We like things that make a splash. We like crowds being moved. It's not the way the kingdom comes, according to Jesus. I can tell you, you want to get any church growth book out there, and there are millions of them, and they'll be, the topics are how to grow your church to this number in this amount of time. Okay, But the, the kingdom principle here, small is the next big thing. That should impact us, I think, as we read that. That should have a big, big difference in our lives because every act we do, no matter how small it is, makes an impact and can grow to large, in large ways to make a huge difference. Do the small stuff. Sometimes we dismiss, don't we, the small stuff? Uh, I'm not going to really make a difference. That phone call, that text that note of encouragement, that conversation. It's how God works. Now, did that parable come true? The parable of mustard seed. You bet it did. I mean, you think about the start of the gospel, right? With a handful of followers going, and, and it was hard work spreading the news, but God used it, and it grew. I mean, Jesus even said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It has happened, and it's still happening today. Jesus goes on and says, here's, here's another thing the kingdom's like. It's like leaven. This is very similar. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Okay, that's what the kingdom is like. We, we find that same principle right here. Leaven is yeast that makes bread rise. When you work it into a batch of flour, the leaven is small, but it is pervasive. It takes over. It spreads throughout the whole batch until all of the flour becomes leavened. In the same way, the gospel, which we have in our hearts, right, spreads. First of all, it takes over us, and it will always ask to have all of us, and then it will work its way outside to those around us. That's what it's intended to do, and spread to this world. It'll eventually be fully realized. So in these parables, we're learning things. We're learning things about God. God is the one who plants. God's the one who grows. God is the bread preparer, right? And we are also learning that God does desire growth. The kingdom was designed to grow from small to permeate and to expand to worldwide. Okay, so Jesus spoke. As we talked about earlier, we, we talked a little bit about the king and where the kingdom is headed now he's going to talk about us, his audience at the time, and ultimately us. Why invest here? Why put your stock here? So um, let me tell you why. Now that we know that the, the king, the kingdom is, is, is coming and where it's headed, why, 
we invest there. Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, 44, this is why you invest, because the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Okay, the kingdom is like a treasure hidden in a field. Ooh, I love a good treasure story. You gotta love treasure, right? Come on. A lot of movies are about treasure, right? Finding treasure. You know, when I was 10 years old, and this is a true story, we moved into a, um, a new house. Uh, it was a bigger house. It was on a bigger property. We had woods going all the way back. The family that sold us the house, I was 10 years old. There were some teenagers that, uh, in that family, and they told me, they said, hey, just so you know, we actually hid a box of quarters out in those woods somewhere, and we lost it, and so it's out there. And as a 10-year-old, you know what, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? There's a treasure in the woods. I looked for that treasure, <laughs> never found it, but every time I went out there, I imagined finding that treasure. There's something about a treasure. Now, this parable, Jesus, and you may be asking this, actually, you may be asking this about this. Why would anyone, why would anybody put so, something so valuable right in a field? All right, now today we've got banks, we've got safety deposit boxes, right? We've got safes. Back then, the safety deposit box was like digging under your tent. It was like going to find a tree where you could hide something. It was hiding it under a rock, very different than today. But in this parable, the man, the man stumbles upon the treasure, right? He's not looking for it. It just comes upon him. And, and the man immediately recognizes that this is something of value, of great value. I mean, sometimes it's hard to estimate, like, is that really worth anything? There's no question here. It's worth everything that he has. It's worth giving up everything he has to have this. And so he does that, and he covers it back up. He secures it so that he'll be able to have it. Not only does he, now he could just go take the treasure, or he could buy, like, the land right around the treasure. No, he goes and buys the whole field. That's because he wants to make sure that he has the treasure. And he sets off to go sell his stuff, motivated by what? Joy, right? Not motivated by greed, not motivated by fear, or feels like he should do this. He's motivated by joy because he's found something that is worth everything to him, and it costs him everything. Jesus goes on and says this about the kingdom. He says, it's like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Okay, this is very similar, right? Very similar to the parable of the treasure. Uh, this time it's a merchant, and a merchant is someone who, who knows the value of things, right? He's sold things, he's bought things, he knows what they're worth. And unlike the man with the treasure, this merchant is searching already. He's looking for the thing of great value. It doesn't just come upon him. He goes and he searches for it. And in that search, he finds the one of great value, one that is far beyond anything that he has, worth more than everything he has. And when he does, he does the same thing, does the same thing as the man with the treasure, the same thing as, as the, the sports collector, right, selling, buying the Chick Harley thing, right? Just gets rid of everything so he can have the one thing. 
They all exchanged what they had for things that were of great worth. Now, what is Jesus saying here to his audience? What is he communicating about the kingdom? I think he's saying this. Hey, listen, I know this may not be to his audience what you imagined, how the kingdom would come, but I'm sharing things with you today that have been planned before the beginning of time. And I can assure you, this is worth everything you got. It's coming and it's worth everything you got. Why? Because the kingdom is priceless. Its value is incalculable. And this kingdom and its future completion that's coming is worth so much more than a victory, a quick fix victory over whoever's occupying you now. You have no idea just how precious and beyond value it is. It's worth everything you have. It's, it's eternity. It's for the rest of time as you know it. It's worth far more than the cost of following the king. And not only this, you get to walk with the king in the kingdom. So no matter how you come up on the kingdom, whether you stumble on the kingdom, right? You just find it. Some of us came that way. You find it like Paul, the apostle Paul just came on a road and he found it. Or whether you have been searching for what life is all about, the meaning of it, the ve- what is the value in it, like the Ethiopian eunuch in the Bible or the Bereans who searched for truth, whether you find it, whether you stumble upon it, whether you find it searching, when you find it, when you come across it, sell all you got and invest in there, invest in the kingdom. Seek it first. And now... When you have found the kingdom, stop searching. Stop searching for other pearls. Stop investing your time in things that don't have value. You have what you need, everything you need with this kingdom. You don't need anything else. Brothers and sisters, many have gone before us in the faith, right? Through time. And have seen the value of this kingdom and have lived for it and have sacrificed their time, their energy, their resources to see it advance. We have history of those who have given their life for the kingdom, for the worth of the kingdom. We see it in the Bible and and people like Stephen. We know that the disciples, many of them, their life wasn't even in comparison to the value of what the kingdom was worth to them. And there's been many through the ages, too, who have have given their lives to see it advance. And so I think what we got to hear today is that the value, the worth of the kingdom is why we abandon everything. It's why we continue to say yes to the king of the kingdom and to grow into who he wants us to be. It's why we don't just hear truth, but it produces something in us and out of us. It's why we continue to invest even when life gets hard. Because the king and the kingdom are our life. They are everything. They're our motivation. They're our motivation to live. They're our motivation to share with other people. I mean, how could we hold something so precious as the kingdom to ourselves and not share it with the rest of this world who doesn't know, who is searching for the thing of great value? So there are some questions 
I think, to come up for us in this that we've got to interact with and wrestle with. And the obvious one is, do you value the kingdom? Do you see its worth? Do you trust the king when he says, listen, this is worth giving up everything for? Do you even care about that question? Because that will reveal something of where your heart's at in this. And that's what Jesus intended to reveal where our hearts is at. What's your motivation for choosing the king, for investing in the kingdom? Is it, is it joy that you get to walk with the king, that you, you're going to have eternity with the king, that you're going to be able to abandon this, this life and the problems that it brings, that you're holding on to that, the joy that that produces? Or is it, what do I need to do to appease the king, to kind of get in and still enjoy what I'm doing here and, and live for this life here too? Are we willing to pay the full price to get the treasure, right? The price of admitting and turning from our sin, the price of surrendering, the price of putting the kingdom first. Our response to the gospel and how we live our lives will demonstrate our true estimation of the value of the kingdom. Let me say that again. Our response to the gospel, how we live this kingdom life will demonstrate our true estimation of the value of the kingdom. Now, I want to make a distinction here because this may be something you're wrestling with. We're going to talk about the parables of salvation. Uh, I think it's next week or maybe the week after. It's coming. I want to make a distinction. We could never do, we can never pay enough to earn what Jesus has done for us. He has paid the price on the cross because we couldn't. He has made a way for us to know God, to have forgiveness of our sins, to be called sons and daughters of the kingdom. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But now that we've been saved with such a great price, all right, are we willing to keep investing? Right now, are we investing in the kingdom? The Bible tells us that Jesus, in Hebrews, this is in Hebrews, for the joy of set before him. See, Jesus is modeling this to us. Jesus is modeling kingdom life to us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Think about that. For the joy set before him, over all the hardship and all the trials we go through, right? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In that way, I think Jesus, like the man who searched for the treasure, He gave up everything, right, to obtain us. We are, in a sense, a treasure. Think about that. These parables, they hit the audience in the moment, and they hit us now. This is not about looking back and saying, okay, how how have I done up to this point? Am Am I in? Am I not? You know, it's not what it's about. The question Jesus is asking is in the moment right now, as this, the truth of the kingdom hits you, will you give up everything to live in the kingdom with this king? Let's pray. God, we read uh, 
We read interesting uh, and heavy kinds of truths in these stories. We, we do want to just say we know that you spoke these words to an audience as you were setting up the kingdom and telling them what it was. But we believe, God, that your word is living and active and it has things for us today to glean from this. And we thank you, first of all, God, that for the price that you paid, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross so that we could be made right with you. We thank you for the price you paid for us. And God, because of what you've done, we want to, we want to live this life for the kingdom. We want to be about the kingdom. And we want to reach those for the kingdom. So God, remind us by your spirit of these words that you spoke. Let let it intersect with our hearts, not just today, but in a week, in a month, in a year. We come back and we ask these questions. Do I value the kingdom? Am I investing in the kingdom? And God, if there's things we need, if there's other pearls right now that are coming before you that that need to be put back in their place or abandoned or just gotten rid of. God, we pray you'd speak to us right now and help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us to live the words that you asked us to. We love you, Jesus. We love what you've done for us. And we worship you as the king who is bringing, who has brought and is bringing a kingdom. We can't wait for the day. Amen.